And now, a Boston original on Boston Sports Original. It's Christian Arcan on WEEI. One twenty-seven, one sixteen. Celtics. Excellent game for Derek White. Phenomenal performance once again from Jason Tatum. And the Hornets. They competed, but the Celtics and Tatum just too good. Good afternoon. Welcome in. It's Boston Sports Original WEEI. I'm Christian Arkin. I'm here with you until 4 o'clock. Nice to have you with us today on this balmy day here in the Commonwealth. I hope you're enjoying the weather wherever you are. Opening up with the Celtics because, let's be honest here, folks, the Celtics, I know it's the Super Bowl tomorrow, but with the trade deadline, I don't even think the Celtics did that much at the trade deadline. But I think the Celtics in the NBA right now is the top story in sports. I'm not even kidding. I know that the Super Bowl is tomorrow. We'll talk plenty of football. I promise you we will. But I, I'm telling you right now, today, this morning, the Boston Celtics in the NBA, more generally, I guess, is uh, in the middle of, I think, a giant shift. A major, major shift that we're going to talk a lot about today. And you can uh, chime in. We'll do that early and often here at 617-779-7937. Um, there's a, there's a big change happening in the NBA. This thing with the Brooklyn Nets, this thing is going to send shockwaves throughout the entire league. I'm not kidding. It's been, I don't know, since, I want to say since before the LeBron heat. But this has been, uh, there's been an era now, and it's gone on just about over a decade, I'd say, of the type of player empowerment that I'd imagine the Scottie Pippins and the Larry Bird, people who played in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, wouldn't even be able to dream of. Uh, the contracts, the teaming up, the sort of camaraderie and behind-the-scenes deal-making and handshakes and all that stuff that happened for years and years and years. And, I mean, really, it's been, it's been going on now a while. Like, it's, it's made an impact on the league. And it's also produced some big results for LeBron James and, you know, Kevin Durant and some other people when it comes to teaming up and things of that nature. But this thing with Brooklyn, this thing with Brooklyn may have ruined it all. Kyrie Irving may have ruined it for everybody. It's amazing to me that that guy is uh, on the uh, part of the players' union. He's like important, an important role in the player uh, in the players' association. I forget exactly what it is. I can look it up. He's like a chief officer or something. Uh, he's definitely one of like the main reps, and he may have just completely ruined it for everyone. Uh, we'll get into all of that in just a minute. I do want to talk about the Celtics and a little bit about that game last night. As uh, Derek White, I don't know what got into him. Derek White last night was in the first half. He was unbelievable. I've, you know what I mean? Like that was a that was a Steph Curry type of game. That was like an NBA Jam on fire for the entire first half. Well, he uh, made situation. NBA history with his first half. He had like eight threes, uh, ten assists, three blocks. He was like the first one ever to to ever game. do that. Uh, eight three pointers in the first half. He was incredible. <laughs> I mean, it's the Hornets who I think are stuck on fifteen wins right now. So it's not like you're playing some good team. But uh, that was that was quite an impressive performance, I would say, last night from Derek White. And it's not just that it was last night. It's been going on for a while now with him. With Marcus Smart out, uh, they haven't won every game, but Derek White's been giving you solid uh, contributions, very, very solid, enough that I think he's making a case for 
being a starter. I, I don't think he's going to get that. I don't think he's going to get it over Marcus Smart. But he's given Joe Mazzulla something to think about, that's for sure. And that's really all you can ask for when you're talking about these uh, these guys who are backups. I was telling Keith the other night, like when this squad is fully healthy, they are a really, really good team. If you have White and Brogdon as your 6-7 guy off the bench. Yeah. You know, it's just a shame that they both kind of play the same position. And that's the only real problem that they that you have with this team right now. Um, they went out at the trade deadline and picked up Mike Muscala, who, if you're not aware, is a uh, hip-hop royalty, um, an international rap sensation, who uh, just, if you, if you didn't hear it this week, um, Mike Muscala has uh, appeared on TNT and shown off his... It, you know, when people have, like, an amazing talent, it's kind of cruel not to share it with the world. You know what I mean? Like, imagine if Da Vinci decided not to paint. Or imagine if, you know, uh, Louis Armstrong never picked up a trumpet. <laughs> or something like that. That would be basically if Mike Muscala decided, you know what? I don't have to rap, so I'm not going to. But instead, he went on TNT with uh, Charles Barkley and Shaq and everybody, and he shared his beautiful gift. Call me Mike Jaws of the best kept secret. Coming from Atlanta where the Hawks stay screeching. Mm, doesn't rhyme. Three goals and I ain't talking about a hat trick. One, win the championship. Two, doesn't make rhyme. a smash it. Three, okay. have a baby with my lady, then some grandkids. These other rappers shaky Charles backswing. Okay, stop, 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 stop it. I don't want, I don't want people's cars to catch on fire from all that hotness, okay? <laughs> you know, you ever see a car on the side of the road on fire? It's because they were playing the Mike Muscala mixtape. Uh, that's why. Anyways, Muscala was hitting threes last night. He just he slotted right in. It's like he's been here. He's been playing here for years. He posted up in the corner. He's like, hey, right here, guys. New guy, 57, over in the corner. By the way, 57, maybe the worst jersey number in the history of the NBA. I don't think there's a worse one you can have. Has any? I don't think any Celtics ever worn 57 before. Well, has anyone worn number 91 until Blake Griffin did? Uh, Dennis Rodman, hi, yeah, is who he wore it for. But um, the uh, 57, I don't think anybody in the league's ever worn 57. I don't think that's I don't think that's a number anyone's ever worn. That's a bad number. It's a bad number, Mike. I uh, I'm a little disappointed in your number selection. Although if you wanted to be unique, I guess that's that's one thing there. It's one of those numbers. You know, it's not retired. <laughs> Look up in the rafters. You're not seeing 57 up there. Only one other person has worn number 57. Hilton Armstrong with the Warriors in 2014. Who could forget Hilton Armstrong from the Warriors Everybody. in 2014? <laughs> I mean, what an impact he made. Anyway, the uh, Celtics. I don't know. Do you call? What do you call that trade deadline? You call it a dud? I call it a little bit of a dud. I think they could have done more. I would have liked them uh, see them do more. And I don't necessarily. Dislike Muscala, I think he's a little bit of a stiff. He can shoot, that's fine. But I mean, come on, he's a you know he's a backup, backup big, and uh, you know he's an amazing rapper. But that's neither here nor there. I'm talking about helping the Celtics. Uh, and when it comes to what he can do to help the Celtics, I think that you could have spent those resources better at a different position. I think it's very clear, and you heard it uh, from uh, various outlets already reporting on this. Even Keith Smith who loves what the Celtics did at the deadline, said that you know all his sources were telling him that they were looking to get some wing depth, but now they're going to just try and get it in the buyout market, which I'll get to that in a second because I do think there's some meat on that bone too. But uh, if, you were, if you had to choose between one or the other, if you had to choose between a big and a wing, and neither one of them is going to be somebody that you're giving major minutes to, I just think that the wing was more important. I do. Um, Sam Hauser, listen, I love you, buddy, and I, <laughs> I love what you've been doing lately. I don't... I don't plan on relying on you to eat up those minutes in the playoffs or in the NBA finals for that matter. Uh, not this year, maybe next year, not this year. 
Grant Williams, I don't think, really uh, fits that role on the wing. And aside from those two guys, you don't really have much else. Muscala, he can shoot, but he's not a wing. And what you need is someone who can give Brown and Tatum a little bit of a break. Uh, Jalen Brown right now has a broken face. And Jason Tatum in a game that the Celtics, I think, led by they lead by 28 points in the third quarter. What was the ba- the biggest lead they had? I forget what it was. Maybe it wasn't uh, 28. But they had a big lead. And Jason Tatum still had to play 37 minutes in that game. Which, by the way, just for reference here, Giannis Antetokounmpo averages about 33 minutes a game. So does Jokic. This was a game against the 15-win Charlotte Hornets. And Jason Tatum played 37 minutes in it. They were up by 28 points. At what point in the game were they up by that much? Can you, did you have that uh, handy? Because That was third quarter. In the third quarter. Third quarter, 28 point lead. You're up 30 in the third quarter. And you still got to send Tatum back out there. I mean, you know, like... And listen, Charlotte made a run. I think they got it down to seven, six, seven points. All right? So it's not like it was smooth sailing the entire time. But that's sort of the point, I guess is that when Jason Tatum goes out of the game, a 28-point lead turns into a 7-point lead, and that's why you need to have more wings. That's why it can't just be Sam Hauser and Grant Williams. First of all, Grant Williams has to play in the post. Grant Williams is one of your bigs right now. It's Grant Williams, Blake Griffin, Muscala, and Cornette. I mean, that's, you know, it takes four guys who are about that skill level to play that position. Yeah, it wasn't just the third quarter. It was, like, midway through, like, near the end. It was at, like, the five-minute mark. The I mean, that's, that's, so that's brutal. that's a quick comeback, that's quick a, turnaround. That's a very, very... Uh, troubling thing and you know Joe Mazzulla went at it with Gary Washburn after the game about that exact thing about the uh, about the lead shriveling up and having to play Jason Tatum and Mazzulla was very defensive about it I'm not sure if you if you can't believe that you know I mean it's a it's a tough thing but Joe Mazzulla was actually gave sort of an awkward weird defensive uh, answer when asked about it and they went back and forth we'll we'll play that for you in a little bit um what did you want the Celtics to do I just told you what I wanted him to do what would you have liked them to do uh, let me know six one seven 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 nine seven ninety three seven. Um, what do you think about what they did? What do you think about Mike Muscala? Um, I'll tell you what, Keith Smith, who I like, is uh, generally very positive about the Celtics. He does Celtics blog and also uh, writes for Sport Track, I believe. And he was bullish, I think, is the right way of putting it on the uh, on the Celtics and their deadline uh, that wasn't really. I mean, I think what a lot of Celtics fans and writers alike sort of came up with here is that this team's really good and there's not a lot of reason to mess with it and there's not a lot of reason to sort of ruin the chemistry in the locker room or on the court or anything else. And while I do think that there's something to be said for chemistry, I think if you have a chance to improve and you have areas where you can improve and you have certain areas where you have a bunch of players and you can't give them all the playing time that they want, then it just sort of makes sense. It's a log jam. It's something that can work. It's not going to, you know, it, it's nice to have chemistry, but it's also nice to have a wing who can spell Tatum and Brown so Jason Tatum doesn't have to play 37 minutes. And if it means you have to give up one of your four-point guards, sorry, I know I know it's bad for the chemistry maybe of the team, but we're talking about real-life basketball stuff here now. Like, we're talking about making sure that Jason Tatum doesn't get to the finals and is so burnt out he can't play uh, and can't, you know, get his offense going for any of those six games. That's what I'm worried about. Uh, that's what I felt like all Celtics fans should have been worried about. Um, I do think something's going on here in the league, though. I do think this league is shifting. What happened with the Brooklyn Nets this week, I think, is going to spell the end 
of the player empowerment era as we've come to know it. It may not be gone completely. The best players are still going to get, you know, favorable treatment. That's not going away. I'm not implying that. But I do think that the era of whatever you just saw in Brooklyn there, whatever you're seeing in the L.A. Clippers with the Lakers with these other teams where the players are just doing whatever they want and the front office is bending over backwards to appease them, that may be coming to an end. And you have Kyrie Irving to thank NBA players. Thank your thank your guy because he's the reason why this is all, I think, going to come crashing down. We'll get to all that. I'll tell you all about it. And we'll get to your phone calls again at 617-779-7937 right after trending. Now, here's what's trending on WEEI. The Celtics knocking off the Hornets last night, 127-116. Jason Tatum with a game-high 41 points. Derek White was the first player in NBA history to have eight threes, ten assists, and three blocks in one game. He scored a season-high and a new career-high for a regular season game, 33 points. Celtics will be back in action tomorrow afternoon as they host John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies. Tip-off set at 2 o'clock. The Bruins are back from their All-Star break. As they host the Washington Capitals this afternoon, puck drop is set for 3.30. Jake DeBrus was back at practice yesterday but was in a non-contact jersey. Coach Jim Montgomery said earlier in the week he expects or he hopes to have DeBrus back for either Dallas or Nashville. Super Bowl 57 between the Chiefs and the Eagles takes place tomorrow with kickoff set at 6.30. WEEI is the exclusive home for the radio call of the Super Bowl in Boston with Westwood One's coverage. Kevin Harlan and Kurt Warner on the call. Pre-game coverage starts at 2 p.m. on Super Sunday, and you can listen on your phone for free in the Boston area via the Odyssey app. Just listen to WEEI. And WEEI's Super Bowl coverage is sponsored by Wise Snacks. Do game day the wise way. Go to wisegameday.com for your chance to win one of 100 authentic pro football jerseys. I'm Joe Braverman, and that's what's trending on WEEI and WEEI.com. Uh, and there were times throughout this process when I was in Brooklyn where I felt very disrespected and my talent, I uh, work extremely hard at what I do. No one ever talks about my work ethic though. Everyone talks about what I'm doing off the floor. So um, I just want to change that narrative and write my own story and just continue to prepare in the gym. And now that I'm in Dallas, just focus on what I can control, like I said. And, um, you know, I'm always going to be close with those guys in Brooklyn, just like I'm close with guys in Boston, just like I'm close to guys in Cleveland. Um, you know, it is a team competitive sport. But we care about each other's families way more off the court. So um, I know those ex- the relationships will extend off. Um, I'm just focused on preparing to win. That's Kyrie Irving talking in Dallas about how he felt disrespected in Brooklyn. It's Christian Arkan here, Boston Sports Original, WEEI. Here with you until 4 o'clock. We're going to be talking with uh, Tom King, National Telegraph at 2.30. Talk to Joe Sway Pavone about uh, this very thing in a couple hours, right around uh, 3.30 when we uh, when we get back to this. But I wanted to just right now uh, say that I think there is a major wave about to hit the NBA. But before I do that, it's a couple of uh, texts I wanted to read, and I don't often do this. It's a couple I wanted to read. Number one. Uh, Arkan, they spoke about the meaning behind the choice of 57 from Escala. His mother recently passed away. 1957 was the year she was born. I'm an a-hole, my bad. <laughs> didn't know that. I just thought it was a weird number he picked, and I was just generally jabby. I had no idea, and I didn't mean any disrespect to his family or his mother or anything like that. For the record. I don't think anyone thought that I did, but I just, that's, for the record, I didn't. Um, 
What else? Uh, Terry Rozier would have looked great in green, Arcand. No, he wouldn't. No, he wouldn't. There's enough point guards on this team, okay? You don't need another one. I like Terry Rozier. I think that the Terry Rozier, they maybe shouldn't have moved on from him. Uh, should have kept him and moved on from Kyrie, but whatever. That's not, forget all that for now. Uh, that's not uh, applicable to this team. Um, and someone else says the big problem with uh, Jalen Brown is that it's his ankle that's injured, not his face. I think his face is also injured. <laughs> Did you see? He took a shot. He took a shot right in the, right in the chops. And if you know what it is, is that got uh, broken, it's the the axillary, right? The axillary. Or the maxillary. I Googled it real quick last night, and it's like the upper jaw, so it's like kind of like around his cheekbone. It's and especially above your gums, at, yeah. Yeah, and then looking at the replay, like where Tatum's elbow hit, it was like right in between like his lip and his nose. Now, I know a little bit about facial fractures because when I was in college, I broke my jaw. Should have seen the other guy. No, I fell and broke my jaw. It was very embarrassing. But uh, so you have the uh, maxilla up at the top. That's like where your mustache would be. It's uh, the top of your gums. And then that connects to the mandibles. And the mandibles come down. It's like the the jaw part that goes down your uh, jawline. And then, you know, there's the chin at the end. And uh, when I broke my jaw, I broke the mandible. It was bad. But he got, you know, he was up top. He got the uh, he got the maxilla, maxilla, whatever it's called. And I don't know. That doesn't seem like... I don't know if he's going to have to wear a mask. I don't know if any jaw's going to have to get wired shut or if he's going to have to be off solid foods or whatever. I know that I did when I when I broke mine. But uh, either way, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun. And I didn't know anything about that. It's really his ankles injured, and that's what they're keeping him out for. Not the not the very obvious shot to the face that he took. Like that's, oh, of course, a, that's a weird. Because when take. I saw him get elbowed in the face, I was so <laughs> concerned about his ankle. Yeah, I didn't I didn't think his ankle needed any. I thought his ankle looked okay. Uh, that direct shot to the face that he took, though, I think was uh, probably a little bit more painful and I don't think a fake injury. Either way, um, I want to talk about the player empowerment era because let's look at who really moved at the deadline, right? What really happened here? What's going on in this league of ours? <laughs> um, the Brooklyn Nets finally said bleep this and blew it up. They said, all right, Kyrie, you want to trade? We'll trade you. Send you to Dallas. I don't care what we get back. Dinwiddie, Dorian, Finney, whatever. Just get out of here. Just go away. And if that means we got to trade Durant to fight, you know what, Durant, you go away too. We're We're tired of you. You guys haven't won us anything. Kyrie, you barely play. And when you do play, you're also uh, endorsing these anti-Semitic movies on Amazon.com and embarrassing us that way. When you're not playing because you won't take the vaccine. It just, you know, every every step of this has been a nightmare. Man, get out of here. With you guys. Just a, a total nightmare. So you know what? You want to trade? Fine. Here you go. We're trading you. Goodbye. Get out. And now both those guys are in the Western Conference. And just for the, on, on the surface, I want to say. For the Celtics, this is great news. I mean, this is really excellent news if you're a Celtics fan. The two guys who... In Kevin Durant, more so than Kyrie, because I think Kyrie at this point's a basket case. But in Durant's, I mean, Durant's still, I think, a great player. He's banged up all the time, but he was banged up before. I still thought after they traded Kyrie, I was surprised to see Brooklyn do that. I thought, well, they're going to keep Durant and they can build around him. They still got him under contract for four more years. They can rebuild around Durant. What's he going to do? Not play? Uh, he's going to get hurt, probably sure. But you can build. There's going to be players who want to come play with Durant. So I was surprised when they traded him. But really, they just they they had it. They'd had it up to here. They'd probably figured, you know what? We've done everything. We've done everything we could do. And this guy, mostly Kyrie, is impossible. He's impossible. There's no way to ever make this guy happy. There's nothing we can ever do. And half the time, he doesn't even show up. 
this dog. <laughs> You know, this guy that made this whole big show about coming home to Brooklyn, where he's not even from. He's from New Jersey. He's not from Brooklyn. Made this whole big show about coming home. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. Sound familiar, Celtics fans? Sound anything like, oh, I don't know, can't wait to have the number 11 retired up there in the rafters? Any of that sound familiar? Oh, I can't wait to be home. I can't wait to have this amazing opportunity to play with my brother Kevin Durant and all this stuff. And now, even now, you hear him talk about it well. I look back on it, and my journey is just so... He doesn't care about winning. He cares about his journey. He's like Justin Bieber. You know, like, oh, this is all about my journey, everybody. You know, I'm so glad you're all here to experience my journey with me. Bleep your journey, man. No one cares about your stupid journey. All right? Why would any... Why is that something that any Brooklyn Nets fan or any NBA fan, for that matter, should care about? You and your stupid you journey. I plan on resigning here next year. Yeah, okay. Uh, journey didn't take you there, did it? <laughs> no, you journeyed over to Brooklyn, and you lost there, too. You know why? Because when you're not with LeBron, Kyrie, you're kind of a loser. And you know what else? When Kevin Durant's not joining a 73-win team, he's kind of a loser, too. I'm sorry. I mean, that's just that's the truth. That's what these last couple of years in Brooklyn have taught me. Kyrie Irving, when he's not with LeBron, and that was an amazing shot that he hit. And he's coasted off that shot for a long time. That shot and dribble, dribble, hezzy, hezzy. It's all he does. And he's the number one vote-getter in the Eastern Conference for guards in the All-Star game. So you tell me. That's popular still. Fine. What's he won? What's he winning? Nothing. When LeBron's not there, what's he wait? Doesn't win anything. When Durant's not there, they don't even win games. Let alone championships. And Kevin Durant finally gets out of Golden State, goes to start his own thing over there in Brooklyn with his buddy Kyrie. And what are they winning? What's he, what's he winning over there? Nothing. Didn't even make a finals. I'll tell you what. <clears throat> those two guys took a big hit here. They did. Unless the Dallas Mavericks win the NBA championship, Kyrie, no one's going to look at him the same way ever again. And I'll tell you what. The Phoenix Suns, I mean, <laughs> Phoenix Suns are a pretty good team now. I'll give you that. I kind of look at the Kyrie situation and think, who are the stupid people that continue to take the bait of, like, yes, he's a good player, but he's such a head case in the locker room. I can't believe Mark Cuban okayed this. You know, Mark Cuban okayed Kyrie Irving to come to his team. I know that he's not going to sign him long term. I don't think I'd be I'd be astonished if Mark Cuban said, yeah, let's lock up Kyrie long term at a max contract. I Wouldn't think, it? Like you said, title or bust. That's the only way it happens. I mean, <laughs> listen, first of all, that would that would have to assume, first of all, that him and Luca get along well. I, I remember when Luca was a rookie and Kyrie was on the Celtics and Luca crossed up Kyrie and like chirped him. I was like, who's this guy? <laughs> who's this guy chirping at my Kyrie back in the day? You know, it was Kyrie's first year here. Which, by the way, Kyrie's first year in Boston, the last time he was likable. That's the last time he wasn't a monster. I like, really, I'm not even kidding. Like that, since then, he's he's like Godzilla. <laughs> he just goes from town to town, just destroying everything and, uh, and crushing all the buildings and eating all the subway cars and just rah, breathing fire everywhere and, and reducing them all to rubble. That's what Kyrie does. He's Godzilla. He's been Godzilla of the NBA. And that one year in Boston, he was the man. <laughs> I mean, he really, why well, I loved Kyrie that year. Oh, when he got hurt right before the playoffs, that was such a bummer. And then they make it to the Eastern Conference fight. I mean, it's I know it was a long time ago. This is all ancient history, of course, but uh, it's so amazing to think what a difference four years makes. That one year, that one year when Kyrie was here in Boston, he was a likable guy. 
I know he said some things that maybe, you know, you didn't like in other places, but we liked him here. I think around the league there was sort of a, ooh, yeah, Kyrie. Look at it. Kyrie's got the Celtics now. It's his team. This is uh, this is going to be a whole new a whole new generation of NBA, and Kyrie is going to be right there in the front lines, leading the Celtics. I mean, are we sure he was like? Well, he did say the Earth was flat before he, he did came say to that. The Celtics, and people thought that, that was, was a uh, lot of enemies there. People thought that was pretty stupid, but I think that you know <laughs> that was forgivable. It's a lot better than the things he's saying now. He moved on from conspiracies that didn't really like. It's not like anyone gets hurt by the flat Earth thing. You know, you look stupid when you bring it up at a party or something, but it's not like, you know, it's not like some of the other conspiracy theories that lead to awful stuff and people, you know, losing their lives or losing their house or whatever, uh, which, you know, I mean, now he's to the point now with his theory. I don't know if you every once in a while, someone will like send me like his Instagram story. <laughs> Kyrie Irving's Instagram story is, oh boy. I mean, it's tough. It's tough to sit through. Um, And if I'm an NBA player, especially like a good NBA player, like if I'm Giannis or am I, you know, I'm uh, uh, one of these one of these superstars in the league right now, and I'm I'm looking at Kyrie Irving and I'm going, what are you doing? What are you doing? Don't you see? Don't you see that this team did everything for you? Don't you see that they got you everything you wanted? They did everything they could possibly do for you. And you were the problem. You were very obviously the problem. You didn't play last year. You didn't play. You're under contract to play basketball, and you said, I'm not going to play. You, oh, I felt very disrespected. You chose not to. And then the next year, you demand the trade, and then say you felt disrespected. Oh, and by the way, in between there, you got suspended because you uh, shared a movie that was basically all the beliefs of the black Hebrew Israelites, which if you need to look up what they believe, I mean, I think we've already been through this. It's not suitable for radio. Okay. It's not suitable for anything. Um, that was a very legitimate reason to get suspended. Very legitimate. I would think anybody who shared a piece of media that said that sort of thing about any race or group or religious group would get suspended too i'm positive actually that they would that is not something that only happened to Kyrie. all right i mean that would happen to anybody who did anybody who dared and was dumb enough to think that yeah i can just share this and endorse this thing and that's fine you know we all make choices he made a choice but also it's not just him What's, uh, since the bubble, what's the LeBron James Lakers situation gotten you? And I know you won the championship in the bubble, sure. You won, you won that championship. It was a real championship, right? Yeah, sure it was. I mean, it was, but whatever. Since the, how's things looking now? How's that player empowerment looking now? LeBron setting records, his teammates aren't even cheering for him on the, on the sidelines. <laughs> that was unbelievable. Know, Anthony, does the empowerment include stopping a game for like 15 minutes just to honor yourself? I mean, that honestly, I didn't have a big problem with that. That's a big record, and it's not like there's any other reason to watch that game. It was the Lakers and the Thunder. They're the 12 and 13 seeds. Like, you know, like what else are we staying up late to watch that game for if not to see LeBron break the record? I didn't have a problem with that. I did have a problem with another ceremony the next game. It's like, all right, you already had your ceremony. You stopped the game for it. You need to have another one now? Really? Okay. Okay, LeBron. Um, they're the third worst team in the West, the Lakers. They're the third worst team in the Western Conference. And that's a team with LeBron and Anthony Davis on it. And they've both played this year. Not every game, but they've played. Um, the Clippers, 
with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, have not come close to winning anything. Um, there's other examples, but I think you get the you get the gist, right? I mean, we're at the point now where the player empowerment era really worked great for LeBron, and for a couple of years worked great for Kevin Durant going to Golden State and sort of, you know, backup dancing his way into those finals MVPs there, which I'm sorry. I mean, looking at looking at these last couple of years in Brooklyn, it's hard for me to get back to that same place with Kevin Durant now. And we'll see what he does in Phoenix. If he goes to Phoenix and they win the championship, I'll take it all back. But right now, he looks like a guy who joined a 73-win team to win his championships, and then when he went off on his own, he failed. Would, and, you put the, would you put the super team era in the same category as player empowerment? I consider it all sort of the same, under the same umbrella, right? I mean, that's sort of how it started. And, uh, you know, not not every attempt at it was created equal either. But I do think that we're at the we're at a time now where the players who were really sort of involved in the, in the birth of all of that uh, are at the point in their careers where they're sort of looking at the clock and thinking, you know, I've only got a few more contracts left. Like, I can't just keep doing these one-year deals. Um, you know, Durant did one-year deals there in Golden State for a couple of years. Uh, they were they were all on that on that same kind of thing. Well, we'll just you know re up the next year, and uh, I'll opt out and I'll get a new contract, and it'll be forty five million dollars, or it'll be fifty this year, and we'll just keep doing this until we max out the money. And now you've maxed it all out. The teams aren't winning championships, and these owners are looking at each other like, "What the bleep are we doing here? What 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 was the point of all this?" What was the point of doing all this stuff and making all these concessions for these guys? We didn't win a blessed thing. And not only that, but this guy embarrassed us over and over again. This guy was an embarrassment to our team and really kind of to the league, too. And not just because of his antics. I mean, geez, anybody. He's not the only guy to, in the professional sports to have antics. We know that. But the way it was just, oh, well, what are you going to do? And that started in Boston. It did. That did start in Boston with Danny Ainge and Kyrie Irving and the whole thing. They were trying to get him to resign. And it was right around the All-Star break, as a matter of fact. And Kyrie missed two games before the All-Star break and then played in the All-Star game. <laughs> like, he, he wasn't healthy enough. His knee was too, too shot to play in the games that counted. But he played in the All-Star game. And when Danny Ainge was asked about it, he was like, well, you know, he probably gets some good exercise on that knee at the All-Star break. Like, they, you know, we don't have the same kind of... Uh, get uh, him ready for game action when he comes back. Exactly. Sure we don't enough, have the same... He needs his whole knee replaced. We don't have the same kind of hot tubs here. They have the better hot tubs over there at the All-Star, so we're just going to let him it go use the LA, hot tub. so I <laughs> I mean, really nice. you know, and then what happens after that? Oh, wow, he can't play, can't finish the year? Huh, interesting. Maybe he shouldn't have played in that All-Star game. That's where it started. That's where it started with Kyrie, and the enabling of Kyrie, I mean, has just gone through the roof. To the point where, you know, Cy and the rest of these guys in Brooklyn finally just said enough. Enough of this. Get the bleep out of here. <laughs> I don't care what we get back. I don't care that we're not going to get anything back because you're a half-season rental. Get out of here. Uh, we're done with you. And I'll be honest, I'm shocked. I'm shocked that the Dallas Mavericks and Mark Cuban thought, yeah, let's get him. <laughs> let's, let's get this guy in here and let's see what happens. They're desperate. They're desperate to put someone with Luka Doncic. Because they know, I mean... Bird rights, Superman, all that stuff, sure. And, yeah, I mean, Luca's going to qualify for all of it because he's going to be All-NBA again. But, I mean, you know, if you're just stuck there toiling by yourself 
without any real chance of breaking into the top five in the West. I mean, we're talking about the Western Conference. Not really that uh, challenging right now. You got to be better than the Kings and the Memphis Grizzlies and the Denver Nuggets. That's it. You got to compete with the Sacramento Kings to be a top three team in the West right now. Yeah, I'm looking at the standings. The Kings are third and the Lakers are third. And they're separated by like six or seven and a half games. I mean, you know, it's not it's not hard. It's not hard to get to get involved here. It really isn't. I'll tell you what, I feel good about the Celtics, though, when it comes to the player empowerment thing. I actually do. I know that they've been everybody's worried they've been tainted by Kyrie Irving and that, you know, Jalen Brown's too much like Kyrie and they're going to be just like Kyrie. I don't know about that. I don't. I don't know that I, I know that they shared some beliefs about some things and that they're still friends and everything like that. But I can't imagine that anybody's looking at Kyrie right now and thinking, "Yeah, this guy's really this guy's really got it all figured out." Yeah, let's try and let's try and emulate this guy more. He's really he's really got this whole NBA thing down to his side. He knows what he's doing. Like these last these last few years for Kyrie Irving have been a mess. I mean, really, just a mess. And it's not just, he's he's the type of guy where when he's a mess, it's not just him. It's everyone. It affects everybody. It affects everyone that he's in the room with, and now that he's an important part of it. What's his uh, What's his actual role in the union? Do we know that? Kyrie Irving in the Players Union? I know he's he's got some sort of, like, official... He's on the executive committee, maybe? Is that it? I think maybe that's right. He's on the executive committee with a bunch of other uh, players, and yeah, okay, so C.J. McCollum's the president. Andre Godala is the first vice president. Harrison Barnes is the secretary. Okay. Yeah, executive committee. And then there's a lot vice of other president. vice presidents. Biombo, Brogdon, Jalen Brown, Kyrie, Garrett Temple, Grant Williams. A lot of Celtics in here. A lot of Celtics on the board. Jalen, Brogdon, and Grant Williams all on the board. How about that? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, you'll never hear a player talk bad about Kyrie because like, they've been in the locker room with him, whereas right. from the outside we see all this, this garbage that's going on. Yeah, and they still, I mean, you know, to this day, except for James Harden. James Harden said, bleep this, bleep you and bleep this. I'm out of here. Trade me now. I'm not going to stay here with this guy. I'm not going to stay here with this a-hole who won't, who won't play, won't get the vaccine, won't play. I don't think so. Goodbye. I'll did, trade me anywhere. I saw I saw on Facebook, like, the irony of, like, after the Celtics blew out the Nets was, like, the day after when Kyrie said, okay, get me out of here. Yeah. And then the Nets were like, okay, we'll get you out of here, but we're not going to send you to your preferred destination. Since Kyrie stomped on the leprechaun, the Nets have not beaten the Celtics, and the Nets are now a shell of themselves. Except for that kid, uh, Cam Thomas, who keeps oh, dropping 50 points. He's, he's Every good. time I look up, this kid's got 50 points, or he's apologizing for saying something he shouldn't have said. Did you see that? He say he dropped a, he dropped a no, you know, the phrase, no this, when he, he's talking about good-looking guys or something, and then he said no, he said the phrase, I'm not going to say it, but he said it. And uh, he got, I think, 40, 40 Gs he got fined for saying that. He can't say that, so uh, I get it. But um, I don't think he meant anything bad by it. Uh, either way, that's uh, that's the only thing the Brooklyn Nets got left is that kid. <laughs> I mean, really, it's it. There's nobody left there. And Ben Simmons. And uh, Ben Simmons to dish it off because you know he's not going to shoot. 617-779-7937 is the phone number. When we come back, Joe Mazzula had a back and forth with Gary Washburn that I think is further indicative about just uh, how defensive Missoula is about this whole situation that he's in. We'll get to that right after this. Joe, is the eventual goal not to make things so tough on yourself with some of these games where you can take the 28-point lead and kind of cruise as opposed to having to work hard to, to maintain it? Or is that just something that you'll learn? Or is that something you think you're getting better at? 
Um, so you're asking every time we have a big lead, it should always be bigger. They should never, the other team should never be allowed to come back. Is that what you're asking? Well, it kind of happens whereas teams do make runs at you guys and, and big runs at times. And, and you, you know, you had to put Tatum back in. Is the, I didn't have to. I chose to. You chose to. Yes. Yeah, you called a timeout to do it, right? Well, it was our timeout in 11 seconds anyway. So there was going to be a timeout. It was our ball. So I'm just saying, like, do you want, if we have it at 22, the other teams are really good too. So there's going to be times where you're going to have to manage a run. And so I don't think, I don't think the storyline is we got a lead and they got it down to 12. I don't think that's the storyline. The storyline is when we get a lead, we have to execute regardless. And the other teams are really, really good and they're going to, um, they're going to make runs. And then we got to do our best to not help them make that run by, you know, turning the ball over, giving up offensive rebounds and shooting fouls. Joe Missoula last night going back and forth with Gary Washburn's Christian Arkin here, Boston Sports Original, WEEI, taking you up until 4 o'clock. Um, I thought that was interesting. I mean, listen, it was a 28-point lead with you, Sedich, about uh, five minutes left to go, and then by the end of the quarter, it, it almost disappeared. I mean, it was down to, I think, like... What did it get down to? Like seven or ten points, something like that. It wasn't, it wasn't very far off. I think they did get it down to single digits at one point. I may be off on that, but either way, it was uh, it was a serious run, and it happened because they took Tatum out of the game. And you know, he said, "I chose to put him back in." Well, no, you had to put him back in at that point. And the Celtics led this game wire to wire. Charlotte never led. So when Missoula's going out, well, the other team's really good too. Really, they're really good. Like, I know they're in the NBA, but they're really good. Really, the 15-win Charlotte Hornets are really good. It's weird. The Celtics do sort of have problems with teams like that. I think they do take their foot off the gas when they play the Charlottes of the world or the Pistons of the world or the Magic of the world, these other teams. Magic beat them every time they play them now. Uh, but I do think that there's a little bit of, uh, and we've talked with, with a lot of people about that. John Corral has probably talked to Joe Sway about it, too, about how this team tends to overlook people and take their foot off the gas a little bit and maybe not quite have all the depth that we like to think they have. The Celtics are a deep team in certain places. Okay? Are they deep everywhere? No, they're not. They have guys, you know, they got bodies, but are they, like, deep everywhere? No, yeah, they're deep in shooting. Like, almost eh. every guy that takes the floor can shoot. It's That's just, true. It's just the bigger problem you have is, like, defensive bigs. Like, you don't have depth there. No. You got two of them, and I feel like you got to play them every other day. Uh, with Williams and Horford. And I like uh, Grant Williams as a post defender. I actually think he's pretty good at it. I think that he's a versatile defender, and that's probably one of his, more so than his shooting, I think one of the biggest things that uh, Grant Williams brings to the table. And it's also why I think the Celtics were so hesitant to move on from him. Um, In Keith Smith's uh, Celtics blog story, he said multiple teams called Boston on Grant Williams. The Celtics never got close to an offer that they seriously considered. One source said it was clear they had no desire to move Williams. The ask was a big one. Stick a pin in that one. Another source said the Celtics wanted a player who could step right up into the rotation and a good draft pick, lottery-protected first-rounder better for Williams. So a player and the pick. That's a clear of a sign as you're going to get of how much Boston values Williams and some potential insight into their summer plans for Williams' restricted free agency. Now, I do think that half of that's right. Half of that's right. They do value him right now, and they value him for this run. I don't think this means they're going to re-sign him in the offseason. I think that that's a bit of a stretch. Um, but this is also Keith Smith, and he thinks that everything's great all the time. Um, you know, and I did listen, I like Keith a lot and he definitely had some great sourcing here and, uh, and some good tidbits here, but I'm not sure that this whole thing paints the Celtics the way that maybe he thought. 
it does paint them as really liking their roster and really liking their team. But it does kind of give Brad, let's call him Brad Williams, Brad Stevens, a little bit of a Danny Ainge thing going on here. Um, Boston never re-engaged with Kevin Durant. Fine. League sources say the Celtics briefly re-engaged with the Spurs about Pirtle ahead of the deadline. After cutting off previous talks at the end of December when Williams returned to the lineup, Boston wasn't willing to meet San Antonio's asking price of Peyton Pritchard, Danilo Gallinari, and a first-round pick. You weren't willing to... What? Gallinari, who's not playing. Pritchard, who's your fourth point guard, and I like him, but come on. And the first-round pick was the first-round pick to a bridge too far? the hell do you care about first-round picks right now? Celtics viewed Pirtle as a potential rental and had no plans of trading serious value for only a few months. Well, why was he only a rental? Why wouldn't you re-sign Pirtle if you could let Grant Williams go? Uh, you'll have some money freed up right there. And Pirtle, let's be honest, is a 13-10 and 10 guy. And, uh, I mean, if that's what you're looking for, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure exactly. Why would you even target him at all this year if it was just for this year? It's almost like Brad was, like, towing the line of, like, I want to go all in for a championship, but I also want to have a future, like, in the next couple of years and yeah, blowing everything up. I guess. Um, I don't really think. I think you go for it now. You go. You start thinking about the future after you win your first championship. Celtics were chasing two things at the deadline, Smith writes. Another big and wing depth. Sources sell Celtics blog that Boston was in on several of the wings that were traded but bowed out due to meeting the asking prices in terms of picks and salary. Who does this sound like to you? I'll tell you who it sounds like. A certain Mormon gentleman out in Utah right now. That's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like a certain guy who was here for a long time and is a big part of the reason why this team is as good as it is right now, but also had a couple of shortcomings as a GM, especially around this time of year, around the deadline, that drove me nuts and drove a lot of people nuts too. Not going all in with what uh, could be a move that could put you over the top. Ainge refused to. He just wouldn't do it. He wouldn't part with anything. And I'll tell you what, it's gotten you this far, and you're here now, and the Celtics are a good team, and they were in the finals last year. All that's true. All that's true, but you still haven't won anything. Still haven't won anything since that first big move. And what was that big move? What did Danny Ainge do to win that championship? He traded away Al Jefferson and all these young guys to bring in superstars. And uh, for years and years and years, he would not trade Jalen Brown for a superstar. Wouldn't trade him for Paul George. Wouldn't trade him for Jimmy Butler. Wouldn't trade him for Anthony Davis. Wouldn't trade him for James Harden. Wouldn't trade him for who else? Kawhi Leonard. Wouldn't trade him for anybody. Anyone. And some of those other teams that did trade for those guys won championships while the Celtics didn't. Now, that's not to say that I think they definitely should have done that or they definitely would have won a championship if they had traded Jalen Brown for Paul George or whatever. Uh, That's not at all what I'm saying. It's just that they picked a track. They picked a track, and this is the track that they're on. And I sort of thought that Brad Stevens, at the very least, would bring something different based on last year alone. Last year alone at the deadline, I thought Brad Stevens was fantastic. I really did. I thought the Derek White trade was a stroke of genius. This year, I feel like he fell a little bit in love with his own guys too much. And uh, refusal to move on from a first-round pick for Pirtle, if it's someone that you valued, I think is a a silly way of looking at it. Worry about the future in your first-round pick. By the way, your first-round pick is going to be like in the 30s, okay? So what the hell? (laughs) You know, trade it for a sec. Get a second back if that's what you're worried about. Seconds were flying all around. How many teams traded five second-round picks? <laughs> like, no one cares about second-round picks. Yeah, like, role <laughs> players are getting, like, are worth four second-round picks. Sadiq Bay, I think, right? Five for him? I mean, I like Sadiq Bay. 
If the Celtics could have got Sadiq Bay for five second round picks, I would have said go do that. That's a guy I would have liked. That's a guy I would have liked there. He's the wing I'm looking for. Uh, 617-779-7937. There's your phone number. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the lack of buzz the Patriots have at the Super Bowl. It's not just me who's been noticing it. Tommy Curran noticed it. I just saw a tweet from uh, Dave Portnoy uh, who saw Kraft in the hotel lobby. They're all talking about it. Everybody's talking about it. No one's talking about the Patriots. Everyone's talking about how the Patriots are not a story. And that's not a story that you want if you're Robert Kraft. We'll get to all of that right after this.